blessing is, is, you know, when we were singing that song, I will wait for you, I will wait for you, through the storm and through the night. The truth is, is that we don't have to wait for him through the storm and through the night because he is with us through the storm and through the night. So never forget that. We don't have to wait for him because he goes through the storms of life with us and he goes through the night with us. So with that, we'll talk about persevering grace today. So I can see that only a few persevere. So that's good. Glad you guys are all persevering today. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll dig in. I'll have to talk to my wife a little bit about getting shorter songs so I have more time. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, thank you for your love towards us, Lord, and may your love truly be our delight. And Father, I thank you truly that you, Lord, are the one who does go through the storms with us, Father. You never promised to keep them from us, but Lord, you are always with us as we go through them. And we seem to come out stronger on the other side because of your persevering grace. Father, I just pray now that you would truly be with those who aren't here today, Father, and uh, wherever they are and whatever they're doing, Father, give them joy in the fact that you have given them life, Lord. Be with those who are in pain with their backs, their elbows, their knees, Lord, their, their souls. Father, comfort them, wrap your arms around them. And Lord, comfort us today, Lord, with your word, knowing that we are your children and that you are a great and mighty God in everything. So Father, we just ask that your spirit would come now and, and accompany the preaching of your word. In your name, amen. So we've seen that we don't bring a whole lot to the table, and we saw in Sunday school today that uh, we are totally depraved, and we are dead within ourselves. We are the walking dead. And so what we need to take place is God is God to make us alive so that we will respond to the gospel, right? And we've gone through this, and we've seen that all that we bring to the table is our sin, but it's God who chooses whom he will save. It is God who chooses who he makes alive. It's Christ's atoning work for those whom God makes alive, and it's the effectual call of the Spirit is why we respond. And why we will be saved to the end is because of God's persevering grace. So do we persevere to be saved? Or do we persevere because we are saved? Do you fight the good fight to be saved? Or do you fight the good fight because you are saved? They're drastically different. Because one depends upon you, the other is the work of God. When we persevere in our faith, are we persevering because of our own self, of our own strength, under our own will? 
or it's because of God's strength and his persevering grace working in us. And precisely that is what it is. It's God's grace working in us to preserve us, to get us to the end. And there's promises that we will look at. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this, They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called, and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Once saved, always saved, essentially is what that says. Because of God, not because of ourselves. Maybe you've heard people talk about a doctrine that you can lose your salvation. There's a few verses within Hebrews that we can be confused with that we can read and say, oh, well, this is speaking about us losing our salvation. You can't lose your salvation. If you lose your salvation, you never had salvation. So it was never yours to lose to begin with. And if you lose your salvation, well then, how do you get it back if the, what Hebrews says, you are no longer able to repent? We are eternally saved when God effectually calls because of the atoning work of Christ and because of God's choice of you. This is why we persevere. Botner, in his book, he writes this, the doctrine of election and efficacious grace logically imply that certain salvation of those who receive these blessings. If God has chosen men absolutely and unconditionally to eternal life, and if his spirit effectively applies to them the benefits of redemption, the inescapable conclusion is that these persons shall be saved. So brothers and sisters, this is us. If we have been chosen and Christ has atoned for us and God has called us to himself, then we will eternally be saved. We cannot fall away because of his persevering grace. So then what is persevering grace? Well, it's when we persevere, when we're persistent in doing something despite difficulty. We persevere in our faith. We go forward in our faith. Now, what does perseverance not mean? We have to look at that first. What does it not mean? What perseverance does not mean? Perseverance does not mean that Christians are exempted from all spiritual dangers. Perseverance does not mean that Christians are exempted from all spiritual dangers. We see this in Ephesians 6, right? Put on the armor of God. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual battles. So we are not exempt from spiritual danger. We are not exempt from the attacks of Satan. We are not exempt from the flaming arrows of Satan. That is not what perseverance means. Perseverance does not mean that the Christian will not fall into sin. We can probably all testify here that we fall into sin. Maybe we fall into times of lying all the time, or we fall into sexual morality, or we fall into habits of, uh, um, of watching stuff we shouldn't watch. 
we can fall into sin. Perseverance does not mean we are exempt from sin and its consequences. We can fall into sin. Perseverance does not mean that those who merely profess Christ without actually being born again are secure. This is a tough hear me now all right i don't know if the batteries are dead or so perseverance does not mean that those who merely profess christ without actually being born again are secure so we all know that there's people that are that confess to be believers that might not necessarily be believers right this is a truth that could be here today here today, there could be just, even in this small group, there might be those of us who profess Christ, but maybe we don't possess Christ. Or better yet, we profess Christ, but Christ does not possess us. Right? We see this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. So, brothers and sisters, we have to understand this. We can come to church every Sunday. We can take communion. We can give. We can read. We can pray. And we cannot be secure in our faith because we're really not believers. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Turn with me in your Bibles. This isn't on the screen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. There's a good example of this in Matthew chapter 13. And we've all know the parable of the sower. We all know the parable of the sower. Chapter 13, verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. So, so we, we, we get this picture of Jesus in the boat preaching on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has an ear, let him hear. This was the parable of the sower. Now Jesus explains that if you go with me over to verse 18. Here's how Jesus explains it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now listen here. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, 
This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Wow, this is a person who's a believer. Right? They receive the word. They hear it. They, re they receive it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Well, we just found out this is not a person who is really rooted in Christ. This is a professor, but not a possessor. Is this you? Does this describe you? Do you receive the word immediately? But when trials and tribulations come into your life, you fall away. Does that describe you? Or maybe this one describes you. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word... But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Is that you? That you receive the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches are more important to you, and it chokes out the word? Look, these are two people that received the word. They, quote, quote, accepted Jesus Christ. But they weren't followers of Jesus Christ. There was only one that was a follower, and this is what Jesus says. As for what was sown on the good soil, is this your heart, brothers and sisters, today? Is your heart the good soil? This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Is this you today? Are you the one that the seed fell on good soil and you see fruit in your life and it yields more fruit and more fruit and more fruit and when trials and tribulations come and the cares of the world comes and the deceitfulness of riches come you're not phased by it? If this is you then you are under God's persevering grace. You persevere through these hard times. Remember, just because one merely professes Christ without actually being born again are secure. Make sure, Peter says, that your election and calling is sure. Make sure of that. So then what is perseverance? Where do we see perseverance in the Bible? Well, essentially what it is, it's eternal security. Right? It's eternal security. We want to know that, that we're eternally secure, right? And so the good thing is, is the Bible tells us, is that it's not up to you. It's not up to you or your destiny for you to determine your eternal security. So listen to these verses, because these verses are very, very precious. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3 says this. But, but now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob... He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That is eternal security. That is persevering grace. Isaiah 54.10 For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. 
and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Listen, take in, listen to what the word of God says to your heart today. Jeremiah 31.1, at that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. I have redeemed. I have called you. You are my loved ones. I am your God. Jeremiah 32, 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from. This is a new covenant. Doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts. They may not turn from me. This is what God does. When he calls you to himself, he secures your eternal but it's not anything that you did. All the eyes are not us. They're him. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20. And I will give them one heart and one new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Oh, that's great. Those are all Old Testament verses. That's great. God's just talking about the nation of Israel. No, he's talking about you and I. And yes, the nation of Israel, but you and I also. Listen to John 6, 51. Jesus says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. Romans eleven twenty nine for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Hebrews ten fourteen for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. First John five eleven through thirteen, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this is life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And that life is in the Son. There's three key texts that most people go to when it comes to perseverance. Let's look at the first one. Look at John 10. We're going to look at, if you want to go there in your Bibles, it's John 10, 27 through 30. This is what it says. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now we see in this text, we see three things, right? We see the call that we talked about last week, right? The effectual call. We see in this verse, right? Listen to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus talking. His bride hears his voice. So we see the call. And then we see God's choice. We see election in this passage. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. How does he know them? Because he has chosen them. This is why he knows them. He knows his sheep. And what's the response to the sheep? They follow the shepherd. Right? When the cares of the world come up, 
when the deceitfulness of riches and trials and tribulations come, what do his sheep do? They still follow him. Because of his persevering grace that is in our lives. This is what we do. And then verses 28 and 29, we see eternal security. We see this eternal security. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. You see, it's really interesting because we are in Christ. We are in Christ's hands. And if you fear that you can be out of Christ's hand, then the Almighty God, the Father, comes and He wraps His hand. You are secure in Christ. This is why you persevere in your faith. You do not persevere in your faith to be secure. You persevere because you are secure. Secondly, the other text we look at is Philippians 1.6. The apostle writes this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now this word sure means confident. Paul is confident of this very thing. What is he confident in? That what is going to happen is going to happen. He is confident that God will finish his work. Look at the verse. And I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Notice it does not say that you have to finish the work. It says that he finishes the work. Are we to pursue holiness? Absolutely. Is there a responsibility that we have? Absolutely. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But we have to note that it's God who is working in us for his pleasure and for his will. It's him that is doing it. God finishes what he starts. Boyce writes this. He says, God never abandons his plans or purposes for our eternal destiny. He will not leave this work unfinished. He refuses to give up on us until he makes us like Jesus Christ. I love that. He refuses to give up on us until he makes us like Jesus Christ. What comfort that should bring us as we sit here today. That no matter the state that we are in, God refuses to give up on you until he makes you like Jesus Christ. Wow. Right? We get people in our lives all the time that give up on us. But God never gives up on us. The third text. Go to Romans chapter 8 because it's a big text in your Bible, please. Go to Romans 8 if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you got. There, Romans 8, 35 through 39. This is what the apostle writes. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Ooh, those are pretty good. That might separate me from Christ. Right? Or, as it's written, for your sakes we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am confident, 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. Nothing can separate us from Christ in all of creation. There is nothing that can do this. Think about it. He put 17 things there. Can tribulation separate you from Christ? No. Neither can distress or persecution. Neither can famine. Neither can nakedness or danger or the sword or death or life. Can't separate you from that. An all-powerful angel can't separate you from the love of Christ. Or rulers. Or governmental rulers. Or demons. They can't separate us from the love of Christ. Things that are happening now. In your life now. They can't separate you. Things that are going to happen to you in the future or things to come can't separate you. There's not even any kind of power. There's nothing high enough, nothing wide enough, nothing deep enough. There's nothing in any of creation that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That is eternal security. That is God's persevering grace working in us. So that means when all of these 17 things come, we persevere. Why? Because of God's strength in us. Because of who we are. That is why we persevere. Because God has called us to eternal glory. That awaits you. Paul says for momentary light afflictions. Is bringing a weight of glory. And Paul of all people knew what persecution was. Beaten. Whipped. Stoned. I don't think any of us have gone through any of those three. We might, our worst persecution right now is, hey, you Bible thumper. Right? That's really what it is. Oh, man, I'm being persecuted. Someone just called me a Bible thumper. I've yet to have somebody walk into the barbershop and beat me senseless because I'm a Christian. But it's happened. Read Fox's Book of the Martyrs. People have gone to the stake, been set on fire, singing hymns. Why would you sing a hymn when you're on fire if it wasn't God's grace in you to make you persevere? Yes, it's God's persevering grace. None of this can separate you and I from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But we have to understand one thing. There is suffering in our perseverance. There is suffering in our perseverance. Listen to John 15, 18, 19, and 20. Jesus says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. We sit here today in a country where Christianity is not persecuted. We have freedom of religion. But there are many countries where people lose their head because they are a believer. We have to understand Jesus' words. There is going to come a time, even in our country, if we hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we don't waver that people are going to hate us because they hated him. 
They're going to persecute us because they persecuted him. This is what he says. In 2 Timothy 3.12, the apostle writes this to Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice that that verse up there does not say might be. You start living a holy, righteous life. You start speaking the gospel and the power of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. When like in Sunday school, as John MacArthur preached, when you go up to somebody and you look at them and you say, there is no good in you. You start proclaiming the truth of the gospel, the power of the gospel, you will be persecuted. You will be hated. This will happen. This will happen. But through all of this, we persevere because of God's grace in our lives. Think of Peter. Peter's a great guy, right? All of us can relate to Peter. Is there anyone in here that hasn't put their foot in their mouth? Then you can relate to Peter. Because Peter was infamous for this, right? Just think of what he does, right? In the upper room, the upper room discourse. He goes and he tells, and he says to this, he says that, I will never deny you. That's what he tells Jesus. Jesus is saying that he's going to be denied. I'll never deny you. Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus tells Peter that Satan has asked to sift you. But I have prayed for you. Now Peter, in all of his strength, when a wee little girl comes up to him at a fire and says, Oh, you're one of his disciples. Peter denies Jesus to this wee little girl. Right? And Peter denies Christ. He fails with what he says under his own strength. But then we see that Jesus does what? He restores Peter. We see that Jesus restores Peter. That's what he does with us. He restores us. Is there going to be times in your life when persecution comes that you're going to fail Christ? Yes. You're going to fail Christ. Do we fail Christ now without persecution? Absolutely. But he comes and he restores us and he says what? You are my sheep. I gave my life for you. You are in me. This is what he does. This was the difference between Judas and Peter. Right? Nowhere in the scriptures does it ever say that Jesus prayed for Judas. He tells Judas, you go and do what you're supposed to do. Right? That's what he tells Jesus. But he tells Peter, I have prayed for you. Take courage, brothers and sisters, that when we stand against the assault of the devil... And we resist the devil. It is because Jesus prays for us. He intercedes for us. Our victories in perseverance. Our victories over tribulation. Our victories over hardship. Is because Jesus has prayed for you. He has prayed for you. Four things that we see that God does for us. Real quickly. Look in the first Peter 5. 8, 9, and 10. 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering, suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, right? And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The first thing God does in our sufferings is he restores us. He makes you and I fully ready. He makes us complete. This is what this restore means, or he perfects us. The suffering that we go through, the tribulations and hardships that we go through, they are to perfect us. They are to make us more like Christ. They are to conform us to the image of Jesus. We are like putty in God's hands. And when he brings tribulation and hardships into our life, it's not him being mean because you didn't read today. It's him conforming you to the image of his son. Preparing you for eternal glory. He not only perfects you, and he not only makes you ready, but he confirms you. He establishes you. He steadily sets you. This is what God does for us. He firmly plants us so that we might not be dislodged. Right? That's what Ephesians says, that we are not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. When we are firmly rooted and we are planted in Christ, we cannot be dislodged. So that means when your family attacks you for being a Christian, you stand firm. Because this is what God is doing. He's confirming you. When your marriage fails or you lose your job or your health leaves you, when you become shunned by those we loved and thought loved us, when the church is not a place of hope and blessing, but it's a sledgehammer of pain, we stand firm. When standing for Christ means your life. When standing for Christ means your head. When it means the risk of a promotion or criticism or disgrace or not being part of the cool group. This is what God does. He sets you. He steadfastly sets you. He establishes you. So when any of those things come, you will not be dislodged. And it is his work and not ours. He plants us deep. So he not only perfects us and he confirms us, but he strengthens you and I. This is the very place we find our strength, right? Paul says this when he has the thorn in his flesh, right? He asks God to remove it, and God says, My grace is sufficient for you. So Paul says the famous word, right? Then when I am weak is when I am strong. And this is true. Our song said it today, the battle belongs to the Lord, right? And when I fight, I will fight what? Standing up with my punches? No, when I fight, I will fight on my knees. Because we understand that the battle belongs to the Lord. And he fights for you. He fights for you. It is his strength. And finally, God will settle you. This means to establish you, to ground you, to settle you, to rest securely like a building on a foundation or a tree that is deeply rooted. My son sent me a poem this week.
said when we go through the storm. The tree is not strong because it stands there. The tree is strong because it goes through the storm. That is us. When we go through tribulation, that is a storm. And that's what strengthens us. Sorry, forgive me. And we all have storms in our life. You might be going through a storm right now. But it's to strengthen you. It's to conform you to that image of Christ. That is what it's to do. The purpose of suffering is to bond us even more to the foundation. Satan will continually try to rip you away from that foundation with bringing hardship into your lives or doubt into your lives. But take courage because Jesus has prayed for you. This is persevering grace. It is God who holds us. It's God who keeps us. It is not us that does this. It is him who does this. So in conclusion, we can marvel in the truth that you and I have a gracious salvation. When we see this in knowing this, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God has chosen us, or he has appointed us, he has made us alive in Christ, Jesus has redeemed us and done the atoning work, the Spirit has called us in the regenerating work of him, and it is God who keeps you eternally secure. This is what we rejoice in. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for all that you have done for us in our salvation. We truly have a glorious salvation, Lord, a glorious salvation. I would pray, Lord, for all of us here that when hardship comes and suffering comes, that we would welcome it, that we would welcome tribulation, we would welcome persecution, because we know, Lord, that it is from you to make us more like Christ, and it is you who gives us the strength, and it is you who guides us in the storm. Father, so please, I pray for Faith Bible Church, Lord, that when these things happen, you would be glorified and we would see your strength clearly in it. And that we would see your purpose is to make us more like Christ. In your name, amen. Please stand with me as we sing our last song.